0: essentially getting right-sized as a school district.
1: On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, Ketchikan's school district plans to cut positions without laying off staff, according to a draft budget up for a vote on Wednesday. Plus, athletes take home medals and memories from the traditional games in Juneau. All that and more coming up. First, though, let's take a look at the weather. Tonight, partly cloudy with lows in the mid-30s and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Tomorrow Wednesday, chance of rain and a slight chance of snow. Highs around 40, southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. On Wednesday night, rain with lows in the mid-30s, southeast winds to 15 miles an hour. And on Thursday, rain likely, highs in the mid-40s with southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. Thursday night, rain likely, lows in the mid-30s, and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. Ketchikan's school district budget for the coming school year is set to face its first vote on Wednesday. District leaders say they're anticipating a reduction in staff, but not in the form of layoffs. Superintendent Michael Robbins says the $40.1 million budget cuts a total of 48 positions from the district's payroll. But he says the district does not plan to lay off any current staff. Instead, Robbins says the district will shrink through retirements and attrition, and he says some low-performing teachers' contracts will not be renewed. The reduction in staff comes as enrollment at Ketchikan's schools continues to decline. Enrollment peaked in 2017 at just shy of 2,300 students, according to state data. And the district is projecting just over 2,000 students for the coming year. Robin says the reduction in staff reflects that trend.
0: Essentially getting right-sized as a school district so that uh, we can move forward and be fiscally responsible.
1: The district is budgeting for 20 fewer teachers next year. Robbins says he expects elementary school class sizes to rise to roughly 17 students per teacher. That's up from 15. At the middle and high school level, Robbins says he expects the student-to-teacher ratio to be 20 to 1, up from 18. The budget requests the maximum legal contribution of $12.4 million from the Ketchikan Gateway Borough. The borough and the state share responsibility for school funding. The district's budget also anticipates a $100 increase in the state's per-student funding. If state funding is not increased, the district warns that further cuts might be necessary. But state funding remains up in the air. The Alaska House recently greenlit a one-time increase of $175 million in education funding. That would be roughly equivalent to an $860 increase in per-student funding, according to the Alaska Beacon. But it's unclear where education funding will land once the House and Senate finish budget negotiations later this spring. Robbins says he would prefer the legislature increase per-student funding on an ongoing basis.
0: That would be great for us, because then we could long-term budget, long-term plan... What we have cycling off of grants, you know, we could fund in the the general fund and and have a little bit of a more of a three to five year fiscal plan. Can you imagine if as a district we could make a five year plan and, and have that educationally based and know that we have the money there to do that? I think that would have huge impact.
1: Sarah Campbell is the president of the Ketchikan Education Association, the union representing teachers, aides, and staff in Ketchikan's school district. She says uncertainty over how much state and borough funding will be available makes it difficult for school districts to plan and equip teachers with the resources they need.
0: The social-emotional needs of the students in our classroom, um, you know, we're growing. And so educators are tasked with a lot more than just teaching content right? So our, our jobs have expanded. I've been teaching 23 years and the job just continues to grow and grow.
1: Ketchikan's school board is set to take its first vote on the budget on Wednesday. In other business, the board is set to vote on a new contract for Ketchikan's teachers. The new three-year deal raises salaries by two and a half percent a year. Campbell says she's pleased with what she described as collaborative negotiations.
0: It was a, a fair process and it was um you know, I feel like ended in in a good deal for both sides. um we have a very student centered contract um and I feel like the district's goals and the and the education association's goals were aligned in the sense that we want to attract quality teachers to teacher and we want to retain quality educators in our community.
1: Though the district's health insurance costs have ballooned in recent years, the deal maintains employees' premiums at 10 percent of the overall expected cost of insurance and limits premium increases to 2 percent a year. That's in line with current policy. Robin says he's satisfied with the new contract.
0: We really did a good job of coming together and, and making something that's going to work for all of us.
1: Ketchikan's school board is scheduled to vote on the contract on Wednesday. Ketchikan's school board meets at 6 p.m. Wednesday in the White Cliff building on 1st Avenue. The meeting is broadcast on the Ketchikan Gateway Borough's website and local cable channels. Members of the public can address the board at the beginning of the meeting. Young athletes from across the state flocked to Juneau earlier this month to compete in the 2023 traditional games. Ketchikan's native youth Olympics team brought home medals in three traditional events, but for the athletes, it was weekend more focused on connection and self-improvement. KRBD's Reagan Miller reports.
2: Team Ketchikan hadn't made the trip to the traditional games since 2020 due to COVID-19 and the cost of travel. But this year was a good one for the six-person team to come back. Kyle Worrell, a native youth Olympics coach and event coordinator in Juneau, says this month's competition was one of the biggest ever, with more than 200 athletes. Teams from Metlakatla, Prince of Wales Island, Sitka, Anchorage, Fairbanks, Homer, Chickaloon, Seward, Kenai, Whitehorse, and even New Mexico made the trip.
3: So it continues to grow every year. Uh, we continue to see more teams every year.
2: Petersburg's team finished the competition as the first-place middle school team. Mount Edgecombe High School was the overall first-place high school team. Athletes from Homer and Juno earned sportsmanship awards. Over the two-day event, Team Ketchikan pulled in two first-place finishes, a third-place finish, and two fourth-place spots. Worrell says he's gotten to know the Team Ketchikan athletes over the years.
3: So it was really great to see Ketchikan at the event this year and Um, They did really awesome. Their results were really great.
2: The traditional games include a handful of events modeled after traditional Alaska Native skills. The one-hand reach calls for athletes to put all their weight on one wrist as they balance and touch a sealskin ball. In the wrist carry, an athlete hangs from a pole by one wrist as they're carried as far as they can hang on. Ketchikan Sampson Oliver took first place for the wrist carry in the high school boys' division, and Sophie Linda Agoni took first for the high school girls' one-hand reach. Henry Agoni earned third place for the middle school boys' one-hand reach and fourth place for the wrist carry. Kendall Hamilton earned fourth place in the middle school girls' archery division. Even with those impressive scores, Worrell says there's more to the competition than clinching a medal or setting a record.
3: It's all about learning because you're going to be on the floor with the other athletes and they're going to give you advice and encouragement and you're going to come out better than, than
2: before. That's the mentality that Ketchikan's team took to Juno. Starla Agoni is the team's coach. The energy was like no other energy.
0: Um, positive, very encouraging, a lot of support in the
2: gyms. Agoni says that all of Ketchikan's athletes set new personal records. Ketchikan's Samson Oliver set a new wrist carry record. He hung on in the event for more than 200 feet. The games place a heavy emphasis on support, camaraderie, and culture. Agoni's youngest son, Henry Agoni, got to experience that firsthand when he was chosen for the blanket toss as he celebrated his 12th birthday. Depending on their experience level, an athlete might flip or bounce on a walrus skin pulled taut and shaken by their community. It's traditionally a celebration after a successful whale hunt. And Agoni says it was an honor to watch her son sail through the air.
0: Only about 12 athletes were chosen to do the blanket toss over the two-day span. So he was chosen, he was the first athlete to be able to do
2: the blanket toss, which is a great experience in itself. Kyle Worrell, the NYO coach in Juno, was watching too.
3: Hopefully it's a really memorable experience um, for Henry to go on the blanket toss. It's it's kind of a, a adrenaline rush to be... Um, thrown up by um, a group of people, and it's always exciting to watch. So I'm glad we we got somebody from Ketchikan on the blanket.
2: There will be a state competition later this month in Anchorage, but Team Ketchikan won't be making the trip. They need to fundraise to get there. Whether through what Coach Agoni is calling a -a kick-a-thon or a good old-fashioned bake sale, the team hopes to get to state next year. And as always, Agoni hopes that anyone interested in joining the supportive group will try it out. We love to share the cultural aspect, the sportsmanship,
0: the love and support, encouragement, and helping others to choose to be the best that they can be, um, and encouraging
2: that we can always do better, celebrating our differences and our uniqueness. She says that's what it's all about. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Regan Miller.
1: Pacific Northwest ports and major cruise lines are teaming up to examine how to reduce the carbon footprint of the Alaska cruise circuit. The cruise lines are beginning to test different fueling options, everything from hydrogen to methanol, biodiesel, and LNG, or liquefied natural gas. However, none of those are available in sufficient volume at ports like Seattle, Vancouver, BC, and Juneau. Jessica John is a vice president at Norwegian Cruise Line.
0: And when we talk to fuel producers, what we hear all the time is not that they're not willing to invest, but they need to know that there is demand, right, before they know what, where to head in terms of their investment. And then when you talk to the customers, they say the same thing. Well, we can't make a decision because we need to know where the fuel supply is going to be for us to make a commitment.
1: John spoke during a webinar Thursday, convened to rally so-called first movers to back a cruise industry-led Pacific Northwest to Alaska Green Corridor. The group's next step is a feasibility plan focused on ship fuel options and adding more shore power plug-ins. In Sitka, herring seiners took a break on Sunday and Monday to allow processors to catch up with a strong harvest at the end of last week. The Alaska Department of Fish and Game reports that nearly 2,100 tons were landed by saners last Thursday and another 1,600 tons were harvested on Friday. Most of the fishing activity was concentrated in two openers in the Windy Passage area. Total harvest for the commercial sacro herring fishery this season so far is just shy of 11,000 tons. Spawning is continuing, primarily in the waters to the north of Sitka. The department recorded an additional four nautical miles of spawn on Friday and just under two nautical miles of spawn on Saturday and again on Monday. Spawning remains concentrated in the area from Eastern Bay down to Cassiana Island. Total cumulative amount of shoreline with active spawn this year so far is 70 nautical miles. And that's it for tonight's edition of the KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can get the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app or on your smart speaker by asking it to play the KRBD Evening Report. We're in the middle of KRBD's spring fundraising campaign. We are looking to raise money for the station to keep the lights on and keep the news flowing. So if you appreciate local news, give us a call at 907-225-9655 during business hours or give any time online at krbd.org. Thanks so much. I'm Eric Stone.
0: Welcome to One Poem a Day Won't Kill You, KRBD's annual celebration of National Poetry Month.
4: This is Robert Hall. The author is Gilbert McLeod. He has a fishing boat called Keeper. Uh, He wrote a book called Gilbert Said. I'm pretty sure a lot of your listeners might know who Gilbert McLeod is, but uh, this is the poem that he wrote. Uh, for my father. Its title is Old Hurricane Hall. We were fishing one day at Hole in the Wall, and along comes the go-getter, Old Hurricane Hall. He got that name from a hundred mile blow the day he got caught at Brocky Joe's. It blew so hard that darn day, it made old Lou get down and pray. He was in that windhole all alone. His only friend was his radio phone. Now he knew that if he dragged through that gut, he stood a good chance to lose his butt. So he ran that engine all day and night. To save his boat, he would have to fight. But when his skiff capsized, he said, that's it. So he opened up his survival kit. He kept it near hand by the door just in case he got blown to shore. He was cold and tired, but he felt no pain for his survival kit was a squirt of grain. (laughs) He told me later to be prepared for a squall and always carry a quart of grain alcohol.
0: Stay tuned for more of One Poem a Day Won't Kill You throughout the month of April here on KRBD Ketchikan.